Regarding the suspect, at approximately 2.40 p.m. on Monday, March 22nd, officers were dispatched to King Supers on Table Mesa Drive. Officers arrived on the scene within minutes and immediately entered the store and engaged the suspect. There was an exchange of gunfire, which suspect was shot. No other officers were injured. The suspect was taken into custody at 3.28 p.m. He was transported to the hospital for treatment, now in stable condition. This suspect has been identified as Ahmad Alyssa, 21 of Arvada. He has been charged with 10 counts of murder in the first degree and will be shortly transported to Boulder County Jail. Press release with his identifying information, the victim's information will be forthcoming. I appreciate you being here. And I want to say to the community, I am so sorry this incident happened. And we are going to do everything in our power to make sure this suspect has a thorough trial and we do a thorough investigation. That is the police chief in Boulder, Colorado. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. I wanted you to hear it directly from her. An announcement of who this was. The shooting took place yesterday. Somebody walked into what's known as King Supers, which is a supermarket, and started shooting. There are a multiplicity of stories that are out right now about who this shooter is and who this shooter was targeting. What we know, 10 people are dead, including an officer. An officer who was shot and killed while trying to defend others and trying to take down uh, this suspect. That's at least what we are being told right now. This is from the chief. This conversation took place last night as a bit of breaking news to explain to people what was going on. He served in numerous roles supporting the Boulder Police Department and the community of Boulder. And I have to tell you, the heroic action of this officer when he responded to this scene. At 1430 hours, the Boulder Police Department began receiving phone calls of shots fired in the area and a phone call about a possible person with a patrol rifle. The officer in question who passed away is Eric Talley, has been on the force there in Boulder since 2011. But reports on this shooter varied. And in all times and in all ways, we have a rule of thumb here, which is we are not interested in being first. We're interested in being right because a lot of people get things wrong. And a lot of people get things wrong because they are desperate for narrative over all things. The amount of people on social media who said things like the shooter uh, was taken into custody. In other words, it was almost certainly a white man. Again, if he were black or brown, he would be dead. That's a tweet from someone named Amy Siskind, S-I-S-K-I-N-D. Part of uh, the Politico 50, president of New Agenda, and an activist and a feminist with over 500,000 followers had zero information never mind how wrong she got it zero information but what mattered most 
getting out there first. Now, if you were to ask me on any given Sunday about mass shootings, we've discussed it. Mass shootings, by and large, are done by white men, while shootings on the street are done by black men. And one of the questions we've asked here is why? Why does it work like that? What is the psychology involved in that? In this case, now that we have the information from the Boulder PD, we know this person's name, and I'm going to use it once because they did, right? We're identifying a suspect here, uh, Ahmad Al-Issa. Some people are misconstruing that is Ahmad Alisa trying to somehow change the name. There are stories coming out about this shooter, their Facebook page, things all over the place. Their politics and what they were all about because the desperation on narrative is to say white man, Trump supporter, gun nut. They didn't take a second to know anything. This is exactly what we saw in the case of Atlanta and these eight people who were killed, six of them Asian, and we're told that the shooter, the killer, the murderer, it was, it was an Asian hate crime. It was, it was all about uh, killing Asians. If that was the case, there were a hundred places the shooter could have stopped between that first massage parlor and the last massage parlor. Chinese restaurants, sushi restaurants, Korean barbecue restaurants, churches, all sorts of things that are on that path. And the shooter did none of those things. Why? The shooter, the murderer, was trying to kill people who were a temptation. That's how he viewed them. And then you have people saying, oh, so he was targeting sex workers. You can't you just can't quit, can you? You can't quit. The issue is the guy. It isn't more of a crime because it was Asian women. It isn't more of a crime because it was sex workers. Like it would not be more of a crime if it was my Jewish father. It's not more of a crime. Hate crimes aren't real. People do have hate and people do commit crimes based upon it. But it doesn't make it worse. The shooting or or the murder of your father or the murder of my father is not somehow better or somehow worse or somehow more important based on some characteristic like religion or color of skin. Murder is murder and eight people are dead in Atlanta. Could we get some focus? And 10 people are dead in Colorado. Could we get some focus? The questions before us should only be involved in what caused this because we are learning in Atlanta based on local law enforcement and based on the FBI that there was a, a, call it a sex addiction or whatever you may. This guy uh, has had a, a religious fervor. He could not make that match up with his own desires and predilections. Therefore, someone was to blame. This is certainly how it's playing out. And as we have been told by the FBI, sex addiction played a part in this. Had to get rid of the temptation. Well, there may actually be a death penalty for some people in America. This case in Colorado, we don't know yet. But people could not help. They could not help jumping to the conclusions. And it's not that they couldn't help it. They wanted it. 
And this is the part that should frighten you, and I will argue to an equal degree. There's a reason I carry my firearm everywhere. And there's a reason now my wife does as well. And it is not because you're going to walk out of the supermarket. It's because... You have to give yourself the best opportunity to do so. The reason, we'll go back to my father, 83 years old. The reason he carries a firearm is that he can't, he can't run anymore. He doesn't think he can actually protect his wife. You may have a vision of your father when he was younger versus when he was older. That moment when your father could literally walk through walls or quite literally scare the wall and force it to fall apart. I don't know how you grew up. I grew up with a very interesting dad. And it affects him that he is not physically able to defend his own wife like he knows he could have back in the day. So what does he do? He equalizes that by carrying a firearm, by giving himself the opportunity to protect himself and his wife to the best of his ability. Oh, yes, the anti-gun mob is already in hot pursuit. The anti-gun mob is uh, Shannon Watts of Moms Demand Action, which is a despicable organization that is not interested in common sense gun law. They're interested in the eradication of the Second Amendment based on their words, not my saying so. The social media folks, first they want, they, they already knew it was a white guy. They already knew it was a Trump supporter. Now, of course, we've got to get rid of the guns. They can't stop themselves. It's like this. It's Senator Chris Murphy. Listen to Senator Chris Murphy discuss what has happened here. And we're also a country that sends uh, an unintended but meaningful message to mass shooters um, of endorsements. I mean, when Congress doesn't do anything um, year after year, decade after decade, in the wake of mass shooting after mass shooting, um, these minds that are starting to become unhinged uh, imply that it's okay. Congress supports the right to keep and bear arms, and that's giving somebody who is mentally uh, compromised, that's what's telling them you should go out there and shoot people? You know what might keep them from shooting people? If everybody in the supermarket had a firearm. Or maybe not. Maybe nothing was going to keep these crazy people from doing awful things. Maybe the guy who is trying to live this religious life and can't stop having sex with the masseuse in the massage parlor, maybe no, no matter of the reason, maybe no concept of reason, maybe no concept of decency was ever going to be able to permeate his brain. He was already locked into this world. He was already going to do something awful. Maybe we're going to find that Ahmad Alisa has some connections. Maybe we won't. You want me to speculate on him? I'm not doing it. That's the whole damn point. But that Congress supports the Second Amendment and therefore it inculcated in these gentlemen, which is way too kind of a word to use for them, this belief that, oh, I could go kill people. I think gun-free zones do that. In a gun-free zone, you know you won't have much resistance. 
Maybe we should put an end to gun-free zones. But immediately ran to who can we blame and what can we do instead of knowing facts. Nothing ever comes before knowing facts. And I swear to you guys, I swear to you, if you're looking for someone who immediately get into blame without having the data, I'm not your guy. A lot of radio hosts out there, best of luck. But if you're looking for someone who's going to absolutely call out these despicable people for being so into narrative that they don't actually care what the facts are, like in Atlanta, when it wasn't about uh, anti-Asian hate, but rather it was somebody's own twisted mind. And we know that because there were a hundred places he could have stopped, but didn't. People pushing narrative over fact have no place being looked to for any level of moral superiority or moral clarity because they are the immoral people. These are 18 people who are dead between Atlanta and Colorado. I don't want it. I don't think you want it. But the Second Amendment remains, and I will take that on with anyone at any time. When we get more facts, we'll bring them to you. I'm Tony Katz. So the story about the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, I truly hope that this is wrong information. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. The story is is that the results that we've seen on the U.S. trial of AstraZeneca, the COVID-19 vaccine, may have included outdated information. So what they told us was, was the vaccine was 79% effective in symptomatic uh, cases and 100% effective basically as a therapeutic. So if you had the vaccine, 79% effective in getting COVID. If you got COVID, 100% effective in preventing severity of how the virus affects the body. That's rather good. That's solid and worthwhile. They also saw no blood clots here in the U.S. Uh, The claim was there were multiple. I think it was three. Three blood clots in Norway, and that caused European nations to say, well, let's blow up for just a second. Let's see what we're looking at here. But now comes this information that the vaccine could have outdated information. And the argument is that the outdated information may be providing an incomplete view of the efficacy. So instead of 79% and 100%, we could not know. They're promising an update within 48 hours. So they're already on the clock, right? So if, you know, if, if they don't come back and tell America, hey, this is okay, America's gonna be like, ah, I'm not trusting the AstraZeneca, which is terrible news because you wanna be able to have uh, faith in these things. And there's no doubt that AstraZeneca was hoping that the U.S. study would bring people, um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Confidence. That's the word. Confidence in the shot, getting clearance in the U.S., and, and AstraZeneca would do uh, better. Right? They, 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 they would see a huge boost, and they'd see people buying the vaccine, of course. I just want the things to work. I'm not so much worried about their bottom line. I want the thing to work. But if it doesn't work, and if the data can't prove that it works, you do have to start all over again.
I don't even know at this stage of the game if you feel like you've got to trust if there's even a question about the data that was used. Right? You may convince uh, or be able to show the powers that be, but public opinion is a different, different thing. Right? Here you are, you had these blood clots in Norway. European nations said, hold on. But the U.S. says no blood clots, and we see this level of effective. Okay, people say, all right, all right. They they checked it. They got this covered. It might have been something else. Good. Then you throw in this wrinkle. I actually don't know whether or not Americans will... uh, We'll be okay with this. And the reason I say this is that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is a good vaccine, even though the efficacy in terms of, of uh, stopping COVID uh, in, in is not the 95% of Moderna or, or Pfizer, it's in, the, it's in the high 60s. Still works very well, though. If you get COVID, you won't have the severity of symptoms. And like, we've got doses all over the place. People won't take it. Oh, no, no, I want the other one. You, you, you take a dose that they've got for you. What are you, crazy? It's one over two. At my age, I would be very, very fine with the Johnson & Johnson one dose and done. Absolutely. I, I'll, I'll admit, my, my fears of, of getting coronavirus are nil. I'm not saying I can't get it. I'm not saying I haven't already had it. I only had one time over the past year once over the past year where uh, I, I, for a couple days, I just felt run down. Right? It was like two days. So I was like, meh. That's exact. That's exact. How, how you feeling? Meh. What was it? So maybe I've already had it. I, I, I don't know. But I would take Johnson & Johnson. If something's compromised here, I, don't, I do not know if AstraZeneca gets another bite at the apple. And convinces people to take it. The AstraZeneca people, by the way, say uh, they've found no serious side effects. They think this is all fine, or at least that's what they're saying. We're going to keep up with that story as well. They're putting Dr. Fauci in a book. I'm Tony Katz. You know, Christmas is right around the corner. Is it? Well... Uh, I don't think I'm the guy to ask. <laughs> right. Hot but about. Christmas is right around the corner, people, and nothing says Christmas like a children's book, a book for your kids based on Dr. Anthony Fauci. Hey, phrase it. What? What? It's, it's a book about Dr. Anthony Fauci. You know, he saved America. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Twitter, Parlor, Instagram, Tony Katz, Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Get the podcast at TonyKatz.com. Do it. Subscribe, follow, do all the things. Dr. Fauci, how a boy from Brooklyn became America's doctor. No, wait, that's taxi. That's not going to work at all. It follows Dr. Fauci from his upbringing in Brooklyn. Through medical school and on to based in his role working with seven U.S. presidents. What the hell? What? Wh- what is this? And will you be buying the book? 
I, I, I have to tell you, I'm, uh, I, I don't think I will be. And I think the people trying to push this idea that, that, that Dr. Fauci is some kind of, of, of hero don't quite understand how America views Dr. Fauci. Because he is not viewed well. And that's, that's a thousand percent his doing, right? He's the one who, who uh, made people question. He's the one who decided to say different things uh, in, in front of different groups, therefore making them say, whoa, 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 which thing is this? Having to re-explain himself again and again and again and again. But it's not the biggest story out there. Bill de Blasio is creating an unprecedented racial justice commission to rethink New York City laws. Saying, and I'm quoting here, this group will change the world. We need to do something transformational at this point in our history. Something unprecedented. And that's why I'm naming a racial justice commission. This is unlike any approach you've ever seen in the history of New York City or honestly in any major city in America, any state in America. We've never had a model for actually addressing structural racism, for formally apologizing for it. Wow, it's... That's that's really nice and sweet and 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 good and and, and well, well it's, it's it's madness. We should be clear. It's complete and total madness. There, you, you still allow people to urinate on the streets, right? Just asking, just asking if that's something that's that's still allowable. But he's a little bit late because Evanston, Illinois is the first city in the U.S. to pay reparations to black residents. I I don't know. They're going to distribute $400,000 to eligible black households. Qualifying households in the city of 73,000 would be eligible to receive $25,000 for home repairs or down payments on property. Wait, wait, $25,000. So... Um, if there are, are you telling me there are only 16 eligible black households? I did the math, right? Do the math for me, producer Ari. Man, I'm Take, not good at math. No, great. You got your phone? I didn't say you couldn't use a calculator. Oh, okay, good, good, good. Uh, hit me with the numbers. It's 16 times 25. Ah, 16 times 25. Or do 400,000 divided by 25 and see if you get 16. It's 400. I'm sorry, What? 16 times 25 is 400. Yes, 400. Right. So you have $400,000. $25,000 is what you can get for home repairs or down payment on a property. They're willing to help 16 black families. I guess that's all that lives in Evanston, Illinois. By the way, is $25,000 enough? One, an alderman, Robin Rue Simmons... Uh, says uh, it is alone not enough. We all know that the road to repair and justice in the black community is going to be a generation of work. It's going to be many programs and initiatives and more funding. Okay. By the way, where's funding for the program coming? 3% tax on the sale of recreational marijuana and donations. Of course, the answer to everything, ladies and gentlemen, is weed. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. A bag of weed, a bag of weed, everything is better with a bag of weed. It's 
My argument regarding the idea of reparations goes as follows. First, you're asking me to pay for something I did not do, nor did my ancestors do. I'm sorry, I won't. I don't know if that offends or not. I, I, I'm not doing it. I didn't, I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. But you benefited from it. Whoa, 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 whoa. I can make that argument 900 different ways for all types of people, regardless of the color of their skin. I mean, I think it would be foolish, really and truly, as, a, as, as any society, just in a rational conversation, to say that as a nation, there wasn't a benefit. That is not a condoning of slavery. I could have done without the benefit. I will never condone the owning of another human being. Ever. And in any way. But if you're going to engage a conversation, it has got to be full-on historical. If you're going to engage the slave trade, for example, you could talk about the slave trade in the United States. Then you have to talk about the slave trade in South America. Then you have to talk about who sold slaves into slavery in Africa and those ports. You have to do it all. You have to have an understanding of what it is we're talking about in order to be able to discuss it like rational people. But this is a conversation about reparations. Here's the question. Never mind the fact that I've done nothing wrong and neither of my children and I refuse to let them pay. I'm up for that fight. I'm up for that fight. And I say that to, to, to friend and foe alike. My, my kids aren't guilty. And no, you can't make them pay. I, I'm, I, I would rather fight you. Right? It's, it's a violent act that you're discussing. So, so don't be surprised when a father's like, whoa, 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 whoa. My kids, no. But here's the, 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 the bigger maybe subject. And I can't get an answer. I would love one, actually. Um, and I've asked, I asked this once on Newsmax, and I, and I didn't, it was to Vernon Jones, uh, right, a former Democrat, now Republican in the, in the Georgia legislature. And I, his answer didn't satisfy, meaning I, he, didn't, he didn't answer the question that I am, I'm asking, which is, if you now, if black America, as if somehow they were one monolithic block, as Joe Biden thinks they are, if black America were to say, here's the agreed upon number for reparations, how do you get the next generation of black Americans to agree? Won't another generation say, whoa, whoa, whoa you agreed to that? We think it should be that plus $4 billion. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're not happy. We're not happy with with, with that number. We're not going to be content with, with, with that figure. How do I know this? I know this because look at the quote from Alderman Robin Ruth Simmons. We all know that the road to repair and justice in the black community is going to be a generation of work. It's going to be many programs and initiatives and more funding. My argument goes as follows. I don't think you can make a deal for the next generation. I don't think you can make a deal for the next generation. And if you can't make a deal for the next generation, how in the world do you expect to make a deal and make this be it? You're already arguing it's not it. You're already arguing this is ongoing. It is going to be as many generations as you choose.
of deciding that people who did nothing wrong and absolutely abhor slavery are guilty. With with, with all due respect, well, I'm a beneficiary of the Constitution of the United States, and so are you. I am not guilty for what Thomas Jefferson did in his home. I am not. So... I don't know how you're going to make this work. I have no idea how they're going to do this in, 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 in Evanston. The 3% tax on the sale of recreational marijuana. That's just weird, right? That's just weird. And we're going to find out how many donations they get. Let's see how many donations they will be able to, uh, to achieve, to be a part of of this giving back this reparations conversation. And may I suggest with the reparations, you buy Dr. Anthony Fauci's children's book. Because I'm sure all the kids are going to want it this Christmas. I'm Tony Katz. So Jerome Powell, he's the chair of the Federal Reserve, discussing how the public needs to understand the risks behind Bitcoin. And I'm asking myself, is he, is he trying to get people to say, oh, no, don't, don't trust that, that Bitcoin. Oh, you shouldn't be buying that whatsoever. Don't, don't be silly. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. Bitcoin was over 55,000 today. It's been up at 60,000. Uh, a year ago, this time, it was at 5,000. 5820, I, I believe. It's gone up nearly tenfold. So if you had bought Bitcoin last March, you would be, if you put 50,000 into Bitcoin, oh my goodness gracious. If you put 5,000 into Bitcoin, you're doing pretty good. Congratulations to you. And here's. Uh, Jerome Powell saying, uh, don't call it crypto, crypto, crypto coins. Refer to them as crypto assets. Because you see, they're, they're, they're volatile, volatile. Not really useful as a store of value. Well, that's, that's not really accurate, is it? I mean, you can argue that it's volatile. I can argue that the dollar is volatile. I can argue that the Fed has done absolutely nothing to stop that volatility. That the argument made in the creation of the Fed going back to 1913 was that it was going to help level out uh, wild gesticulations and swings of the markets. But, but that's not true. That's not true at all. The Great Depression, 2009, just as an example, just this past year. Are, are we sure it's the Fed that's, that's keeping everything in check? Or is the Fed manipulating a system? Well, I'll let other people answer that based on what's going on in, the, in, the, in their own lives or their own views and their, their, their own data. Not saying that I can perfectly answer that question. What I can say is that if you want to make an argument that crypto is, is, uh, is volatile, you can make that about anything. So I don't think it's going to stop people from getting in, involved. As a matter of fact, I think they want to be involved heavily. Now, now full disclosure, uh, never, ever, 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 ever take stock advice from me. Not now, 
Not ever. Don't ever do it. Anytime I'm giving you stock advice, it should sound like this. That's what you should hear in your head. Do not, do not listen to me. I do like to notice, however, when uh, I'm hearing somebody say something that doesn't connect with reality. And that's what's happening here with uh, Jerome Powell. Because the reality is people have bought in. People are bought in to crypto. 150% they have bought in. By the way, one of the other interesting things going on in the markets, again, it's not a company that I own at all. There's a group called Dolphin Entertainment. I, I, I don't know anything about them. I do not recommend them. I do not own the stock. They are entering the NFT market. Non-fungible tokens. This whole concept of digital art and collectibles, promotional items that can exist via this space, it's, in, it's incredible how this is growing and how this is building. I'm still trying to get my arms around it all. I'm still trying my best to understand it. Because I'm trying to figure out, right? So let's say you buy uh, somebody's new 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 album. They've dropped a new album. And you're, you're, you 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 want to buy it, and you can buy it. Um, uh, you know, you you want to you you can buy it, and then it will come with special artwork, right? Or special this or special that, and it all happens digitally. Well, artwork is now selling in this way for tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's 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 incredible. And it's about utilizing um, this the, the system of an NFT, non-fungible token, to be able to guarantee the, the, the work. By the way, a piece of artwork from an artist known as Beeple sold at Christie's for nearly $70 million. It's an NFT, or cryptographic technology, if, if you want to go down that road so i've been trying to figure out exactly how can this be utilized and applied to spoken word how does one utilize nfts to be able to provide content that can be monetized and shared like if you think of it as a paywall i'm trying to figure out how that works do you develop your own? Do you actually develop your own tokens? Are people out there searching for them? Is it, is it not in that in that space? Like thinking of it as don't be thinking of it as maybe these these coins, but really just as tokens in terms of the ability to get to your information securely. You better start paying attention to this stuff because it is here and it is the world and it's how your kids are absolutely going to purchase things online and utilize things and value them I again know absolutely nothing about Dolphin Entertainment I own no part of them zero just want to make sure I'm clear on that I'll always always let you know what's what Facebook Tony Katz Radio or go to TonyKatz.com and subscribe to the podcast this is Tony Katz today